0: Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to have the beer to end all beers.
1: I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading All Quiet on the Western Front by uh, Eric Maria Remark. By a lady.
2: Oh, that was the other one I thought of. We're going to drink a remarkable amount of beers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Well, we're going to start with the beer to end all beers. This is the strongest beer we have had on the show. This Mm. is. It's among
2: the strongest that exist.
1: It is the second strongest beer that BrewDog makes. It is called Sink the Bismarck. It is a quadruple IPA at 41% alcohol. Oh, Jesus, mm. fuck. Unfortunately, they do not make this anymore. So this is this bottle I've been holding onto for a little while, but because it is don't spirit a, strength... This
2: is how we had this when we were younger.
1: We did have it when it first came out, but they don't make it anymore. Okay, yeah. So I bought this bottle like two years ago, and I've been slowly nursing it. Every once in a while I'll take a sip, and I'll go, oh, God, God, it's still really, really strong. And then I don't drink it for six months. It's basically liquor. It's an IPA that they, uh, I think it's not any of their other basic beers. It's a special recipe IPA they make that they then freeze most of the water out of. You have to get it down. You need like some serious it. commercial refrigeration to get it down to like negative 40 Celsius or something like that to, to do this. So they do it like an ice cream factory kind of uh, refrigeration unit.
0: Cheers. Oh, my God. Ugh. Woo, it, that like stings. It does have a burn, but it it's it like dip, shoe polish.
1: It is a very different kind of uh, alcohol burn than a shot of bourbon or whiskey would have. It's, like, super sweet. Yeah.
2: It tastes like if you were rubbing caramel all over a shoe.
1: I get dirt kind of flavor. Like, super earthy flavors. It smells amazing. It tastes like sadness. I actually like the taste better than the smell. The smell
2: reminds me of a nail polish remover. Oh. Well, yeah. Now, now that I smell it a second time. Now that my body's
0: acclimated to this. Whew. That is... It is definitely sweet and like vanilla. Yeah. Definitely. It's maybe this is from before, but uh, definitely. uh, It's really strong. It is.
1: It's syrupy, too. Yeah. It's a different consistency. It's thick, yeah. Because they freeze the water out.
2: It it tastes like a. I mean, it's the thickness of like really, really high end maple syrup where it's like.
1: Still pretty watery, watery,
2: but still just like gummy.
1: Well, we could say we've had it. Yes.
2: I had forgotten, and now I never will
1: again. I had the opportunity to buy a bottle, and it was it's reasonably priced. Yeah, so if it's it.
2: something that they're never making again, and it's there, and it's not expensive, it's like, yeah, get one, just for the novelty of it. And so. at least he's got like you can
0: reseal it. Never drink this all at once. Yeah, sure. So why did they pick the, uh, sing the Bismarck? Because uh, World War I. <laughs> yep, so this... Everyone's favorite war. This episode is coming out just before November 11th, 2018. Never forget. Which is exactly 100 years since the armistice that ended the First World War. Yes. Oh, and by the way, this episode is coming out on Election Day. And since we're recording this early, we have no idea what the election results are.
1: Right. Important thing to note, which I think people don't necessarily uh, fully understand because they're not pedants. The armistice ends the combat of World War I, not the actual war. The war That was the Treaty of Versailles, which was signed
0: roughly six months later. It's like May
1: of 1919. And a whole host of other treaties between the various countries. Treaty of Versailles is the famous one you learn about in high school and middle, or maybe middle school, depending on where you are, because it caused World War II, basically. And uh, you learn about that. But the treaties between, you know, the uh, allied powers and uh, Turkey, no one, you know, or the Ottoman Empire, nobody gives a shit about that tur- uh, treaty, whatever that was called. Couldn't even tell you. No. Nope. The Treaty know of Sheboygan. Could be Sheboygan. Yeah. Might be the Treaty of Sheboygan. <laughs> uh, so just a little factoid for you there. And uh, that Treaty of Versailles, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that later. Uh, But the war is the focus of the book, so we should probably get to that.
0: When did this book come out? First published in November 1928 in German. That's a little further away than I thought, actually. So the book takes place during the war. The book is from the perspective of a soldier in the war. His name is Paul, and it's like he's 20 years old, but he's already been fighting in the war for a year. And it's just his experience as a soldier. Just as a, not as a commander, not as a, you know, he's just like a regular dude. He has no say or nope. you know, control of what happens. And it's just his pr- his perspective on what it's like to fight in trench warfare and what the war is about and how people feel about it and everybody dying. Yeah, that's the book.
1: And I think what's, this book is very important because to my knowledge, at least, it's one of the earlier books that really shows war for the
0: unglorious thing that it is. Well, the First World War itself kind of ended the idea that war is glorious and heroic and you know, it's something you should aspire to do as a young man. It really, because the war was so horrifying, and, I, and this book definitely portrays how horrifying it was. And I'm sure this book itself, though it came out you know roughly ten years later, definitely plays into the uh, definitely like had a big you know influence on the idea that war is not glorious or heroic anymore.
1: Especially for the European audience that first heard it, who were affected much more directly than mm-hmm. the American audience in terms of destruction to their countries in many cases, and just the, the death toll. You know, America got involved in World War I very, very late, like the last year and a half or so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we saw like 130,000 soldiers die, which is a crazy and number. really in just
0: a few months of combat.
1: But, you know, France and England and Germany each had like a million to two million oh, soldiers die. More, died. I think. I think it was more than
0: that. So, oh, uh, it was about nine and a half of the whole war for I, everybody. I did a little bit of research. So before, the, okay, the First World War was so much bigger than every war that had come before it. Uh, and so before the First World War, the biggest war previous was the American Civil War, which was, in the American Civil War was about 3 million soldiers were in uniform at one time or another, and about half a million died. A bunch more wounded and stuff like that. Yeah, the First World War, 70 million people were in, you know, in uniform at some point during the war, and something like 10 million died. Yeah. So it is just so much bigger. And, and it shocked people. People, you know, when the war started, people thought it was going to be short. That they were going to, you know, we're France and we're so much better than Germany. We're just going to defeat them so easily because they're because they're, you know, little wusses. Well, as
1: the soldiers marched to war in, or I guess it's in late August, August of nineteen fourteen, people were kind of like waving to, you know, watching the armies pass by and saying essentially, you know, saying things like, "You'll be home before the leaves turn." Yeah, it's just going to be a fast thing. It's going to be awesome and see you in two months, Heinrich, or <laughs> whatever, Claude. So they, I mean, you can get into the, the social studies kind of classroom explanation of why the war starts, but it is kind of important because to explain the scope of the war, that industrialization had reached such a fast pace that all the countries had developed really new devastating military technology and didn't have much opportunity to use it, so they were really eager to use it. Yeah. And that would prove to be the most devastating part of the war, of course, of course because they still kind of fought with, antiquated fighting strategies of, like, basically running up in a everyone, row and shooting at each other. Everyone,
0: yeah, run like, line up and shoot the other side, or run across the field and shoot the other side when you get close enough. And bayonet yeah.
1: them. Well, when you're firing with a rifle that could fire one round a minute, and it has, like, an 8% accuracy, that type of t- fighting is probably fairly successful. You scare the people off the battlefield, you take the field. You shoot some people, some people die, capture a bunch, people run away. But when you're using guns that can fire, you know, 30 rounds in a minute, with significant, like, really, really high accuracy, and everybody's doing that. It's very it's just deadly. You just mow down entire groups of people. Instantly. So the, the British had like, the most elite army in the world at this point because they'd been kicking mm-hmm. the shit out of like, Africa and other countries for the last 25 years. Uh, really, like,
0: 150 years. But, but like, they had, but this, they those, had career soldiers. They had very highly trained, highly experienced career soldiers. You know, not a huge number of them, but they were highly experienced. But within,
1: like, six months, all those guys were dead. Yeah. It was obliterated because of the way the, the fighting worked, it was just turn people into meat at an industrial rate, and that's yep. what the focus of the book is, sort of. Not like that, the data part of that, or the, but just what the toll was like for a soldier to live with that, where they had this constant fear and threat of being bombed and being just you obliterated. You could die at any
2: second, any time, all the time.
1: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's all a right. bummer. Let's have a beer to think about yeah, that. Yeah. Definitely. Any particular one? No. This looks this looks tasty. Nate, what is this?
0: All right, so this is a grapefruit Hefeweizen by the company Schaffenhofer and is imported from Germany. So it is a German beer and because it was like really hot when I was buying it, I was like, That looks delicious. So I got some. This tastes like Orangino. Yeah, it's very, very grapefruity and not really very beery, but you know what? I I like it right now. It's perfect. It doesn't have any of that nasty bitterness of grapefruit. It's really sweet. No. It
2: actually is really nice. I really hate grapefruit, but it doesn't taste like grapefruit at all, almost.
1: You get more of an orange flavor out of it than grapefruit. Yeah. Well. if you gave it. I mean, maybe the color's destroying me. But maybe
2: they meant grapefruit.
1: fruit. <laughs> no, there's a picture of grapefruit on it. But yeah, it was pretty good. It is very tasty. Very I mean, nice. I, it does not taste like beer at all. This tastes like, this is like a, a wine cooler kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like grapefruit cider. It's really tasty. Not perfect for November, unless it's a hot one. Which we we're recording a little earlier and still pretty warm. Hot November hot November. Yes. Listen, in New York, it could totally happen. It's true. It's true. So,
0: um so let's, let's talk about book, yeah actually. some of the things that he actually talks about. So, in the very beginning of the book, Paul, like this, is kind of like the opening scene, whereas Paul, the main character, and his friends are lining up to get some food, like at the like the chow line, and the cook is saying, "Where is everybody? I, I, we can't start until everybody's here." And the soldier saying, "This is everyone." Everyone else is dead, and that's like opening opening little piece of the book where they had where their unit had lost you know a number of people, and and this is like 1917, and the, Paul has already been in the war for a year or two, so he's like highly experienced. I mean, he really knows what he's doing, but um, it's halfway through the war, and still the, the the cook can't believe just you know everybody's dead. Where is everyone? It's kind
2: of the Germans, kind of at least they they hint at that they know that they're losing. At least at least they don't think they're winning anymore. And the troops seem to think we're we're just just throwing people at the meat grinder here.
1: Well they fucking ran out of people to put in the army at a certain point where they were basically by the end of the war they were basically fielding fourteen year old boys
0: and sixty five year old men with no shoes. Like they had nobody. Mm -hmm. Though what Germany didn't know was that in the summer of nineteen seventeen the French army was under complete mutiny. Like they would not fight. Or at least they would not, like, charge into a no-man's land. Like, they were refusing orders to attack. The Germans had no idea. Like, talk about a failure of military intelligence. If they had mm-hmm. known that, Germany could have won the war. Typical French anyway, surrendering. That's, and that, <coughs> that's not mentioned in the book at all, but literally that's
1: when it's taking place. Well, all of World War I has this sort of mythology of incompetent leaders on every side making terrible, terrible decisions. Wasn't divisions. it was
2: all the old-timey generals...
1: Yeah, trained in warfare that wasn't anything like this anymore. Yep. Like how many horses do we have? Like, who gives a shit, dude? Well, I think that like a like basically military leaders learn to fight the next war by studying the last war, and there had been relative peace in Europe. I mean, there have little things, but
0: nothing of a large scale since Napoleon. Well, and the Franco-Prussian War that was the 1870s. So even even and that the was like a year dude, or two. Yeah, that was short. That was like a short war. Um, and so, but and that was almost. I mean, not quite half a century, but those guys. Yeah, those guys weren't even around anymore. So,
1: and that was still fighting with I mean they had the seeds of modern military mm-hmm. technology, but it was very very primitive, you know, machine gun type things, like Gatling gun kind of things perhaps, but they didn't... and still are on horses. There are no they might have used trains a little bit to transport stuff, but they were not using tanks and cars and jeeps and uh airplanes and blimps and submarines, like all of these things they weren't bombing and poison bombing gas. All those things had been introduced before World War 1, just in one form or another, but World War 1 are used very effectively and on a large scale for the first time
0: all at once. So, um, after they, after they they go get some food, they go visit their friend in the hospital who's, he's 19 years old and he's, you know, been badly wounded. And the, he and his friends are trying to say, Oh, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. And his friend is like, no, no, I'm not. I'm probably going like, to die. They cut on his leg. And then they like, he like loses a leg. They come back the next day or something like that. And he's lost a leg. And one of them goes, Oh, can I have your boots? You know, you have, you have pretty nice boots. You only need the one. Yeah, you only need the one. And then literally as they're sitting there, he says, yes, okay, you can take them. Because then he's dead the next day after that. I think
1: the, uh, so we've talked about this not on the show, but the soldier experience in World War I is probably the worst of any soldier that's
0: existed. Uh, you know, just overall, probably worse than World War II. Even though World War II gets all the coverage, but just, you know, living in the trenches where it's all just mud and gross all the time, and you're a little like you know latrine trench. You just go and literally just take a shit in a corner of a trench, and then when it rains, it all just flows back into the trench, right and where then, you're sitting. And There are just rats everywhere, and all the dead people are still there, and the dead people are still there and just rotting, and you're just covered in lice. There and, are multiple scenes in the spoke. He's like, "Oh, and I tried to de-louse myself, but it didn't work."
2: And they would like heat up the little pan and throw them in and watch them pop like popcorn,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the sound of the war is something that like, really wrecks the minds of soldiers, the bombarding, the, the explosions that are...
0: Artillery. Constant. Constant artillery barrage, which was actually the deadliest part of the war. More soldiers died from artillery than from anything, anything else.
1: Well, because basically, they realized very quickly, these, the guns that were firing at each other are so accurate, we can't stand in the line and shoot each other, so let's be defensive and dig a hole in the ground, they can't shoot us in the hole. And so then you have armies, you know, a couple hundred feet apart... And then occasionally they try to run, in, run at each other, but that proved to be really stupid, though they would continue doing that until the end of the war, of course. So they would try to bomb that other part and like calculate what angle to shoot the mortar at to get it to mm-hmm. land in the other person's trench and get them to run away, and then you could take their trench. And it's like a fucking stupid game that children would play. The amount of destruction to gain 11 feet and then lose it right away, which is a thing throughout this book, too. Like there's, yeah. there's battles. The battle He never really talks about battles by name in the book. He kind of just talks about, like, then we fought this for a while, and this we won, and then maybe, later we lost maybe that. Maybe they
2: didn't... We know them as those names now, but he might have... To him, it was just like, I don't know where the fuck I am.
1: It probably doesn't even matter. I think part of it is to to make it perhaps more like universal. You know, it's just the battle experience on the Western Front was probably pretty similar, whether you were fighting in North France or Germany or Belgium or wherever the hell that was happening. But they would fight battles and win a few pieces, you know, a few meters, and then later on they lose it. And it's like, oh, okay, that's done. And that's just kind of how the war went. That's what Paul's character experiences. And he just
0: doesn't really even seem to care. I mean, he does kind of care. Well, okay, the character seems to be kind of indifferent, or at least numb to it. Yeah, that's better but to say, yeah. but I but the way it's written, like the way the author writes it, he write it's, everything is so horrible, and so USA reader are going to end up caring, even though the character himself just didn't really feel it very much. Does really makes sense. Um, a couple more things that uh, happen like a little bit later. So he talks about um, being being when he was first going to training. And drilling and things like that, uh, and they everybody just absolutely hated the commanders and thought the commanders were just totally, either total idiots or just sadistic, sadistic, evil assholes um, who had kind of a really cushy job being back at the training camp and not having to go fight at the front, and they were a little bit pissed at that. And then later in the book, the the commander, the base, the camp commander, training camp commander they hate the most is out at the front, and they all think they all think it's funny that he actually has to be out there.
2: They, yeah, like, throw a bag over his head and beat the shit out of him?
0: I don't think so. I think they just let that? him be in the war, because, you know, that was bad I thought enough. they, like,
2: they like, uh, they like put pranks on him. Like, they throw a bag over his head and, like, kick him a bunch of times and then run away. And then, like, no, no one says
0: who does oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you should be ashamed of yourselves acting like this, but no one. Yeah, and they're just like, fuck off, dude. Yeah, you're right. Did you ever see uh, Black Adder? Uh, that
1: show with, with um, Mr. Bean? Yeah, no, I never saw it. In yeah. the fourth series, like... Blackadder goes forth, or something like that. It's World War One, and there's a scene where Stephen Fry is uh, like the general, or something like that, and he's speaking to Rowan Atkinson's character, and he's like, "We'll be, we'll be right behind you for the big push." He's like, "Oh, you'll be at the front. We'll be right about twenty miles behind you here at the chateau, <laughs> right? Like that's where the leaders were. Like they're not like we're right behind you, just at an incredibly safe distance, where no one's gonna bother us." And that sort of attitude. I mean, that's like the the image we have of the war day, but the soldiers were definitely aware of that. And uh, yeah, in the book, there's a part where they get like a really cushy gig, right? They get a Paul's group gets a, like a comfortable, easy gig guarding the uh, they
2: get guarding the POW, the Russian POWs,
1: which is like way easier than going to shoot people in the face or get shot in the face. Yes. So they they realize like this being a soldier is the worst. I mean, obviously being a soldier is not good or easy, I should say. But they they're in the absolute worst position. So here. miserable. You know, it's not miserable. More beer. Beer's never really miserable. Well, that one beer. <laughs> <laughs> that one time, that was pretty miserable. We've had a few miserable beers. I should say. Let's see if pastrami? we pastrami. Could... That was a bad. That one. is the
0: one I was thinking. Yeah.
1: Let's try this. Oh, I can smell that. That from the bottle. This is one Jimmy brought. This is called Roth Pills. I
2: think that's the company. Oh, okay. I, t- t- think, t- I, t- th- t- I think t- r- r- Roth t- is the is the brewery because I've seen this label a bunch of places. Did they make the um? That smoked one that we enjoyed, the bacon one? That is not Raffa's Well, this is Roll House Pills. And then at the bottom it says Tannen Zapfel, the original beer from Germany's Black Forest. There's a happy man with a bunch of pine cones on the front. (laughs) Well, what
0: do you guys think? I mean, it's it's a Pilsner, but it definitely has, like, a lot of flavor. I mean, it's good. It's pretty light. There's a sweetness to it. Yeah.
1: And a grassy kind of smell. Something like that, yeah.
2: It's, it's, one like, of, it's probably one of the more interesting Pilsners I've had.
1: I could, if this was a uh, hottest balls day. Oh, it is. Uh, I could imagine drinking a few. Yes. If, if this is a good beer for that. I don't, I mean, I don't find Pilsners particularly interesting. But this is a good sipping, uh, you know, not sipping beer, pounding beer, <laughs> crushable beer. Uh, how strong is it to say? It's got to be like five. It can't be very... 5.3.
2: Cool. All right.
1: It's nice.
0: All right. So um, this is still kind of close to the beginning um, so there's a you know they they're sitting through a bombardment an artillery bombardment and then there's a gas attack, and um, he, Paul and his friends because they've already been in the year been in the war a year or two they know exactly what to do and they put their gas masks on and they're fine but the new recruits they either don't get it on quickly enough or they put it on wrong or they like can't do it because they're so like afraid or even stupider they take their gas masks off too soon because I don't realize that because well mustard gas it wasn't actually a gas so much as it was a very fine powder that would just sort of not so. dissolve into the wind but it was basically like a yellow powder that you could kind of see it looked kind of more like smoke you could say but because it's a little bit denser than regular air it would settle in the trenches hmm. so it wouldn't it, just because things looked cl- kind of clear you could you could actually still be there and the stuff like uh, because it's like chlorine or something. It tol- it just burns the inside of yeah, your like lungs. a up all, all lung chunks. Basically, your lungs are completely burnt on the inside. Like it just chemical chemically just you're you don't have the capacity to take in any air anymore, and so you die very quickly. It's a thrilling time.
1: Pleasant. Yeah. there was a couple other types of gases, right? Sarin gas is another thing that that was invented for world, by the Germans. Was Sarin it, is an acronym of the scientists who made it. Uh, yeah, oh. yeah, they, and that one's definitely still around. Um. Only major conflict where all these things were used.
2: Well, After this war, they said, this shit's too fucked up. Or that uh, World War II, maybe? No, World War II. So one.
0: it's actually not quite true. It was used in the Iran-Iraq War in 1980-81. Well, most of the world was like, hey, man, Whoa. So it was <laughs> not used in World War II because it was just thought of as too horrible. Like, Although, it, and actually, that isn't quite true either. It was seen as so dangerous, it's too hard to not hurt your own troops with it. Because the wind could easily just turn back the other direction mm. and suddenly blow back on you instead. So that's kind of the main reason. But it was used in the Iran Iraq War in the nineteen eighties, and then uh, uh, Saddam Hussein used it on his own people in you know like nineteen eighty five or he used something like
2: in that. Gas Kurds. Yep. And now uh, the in Syria in
0: Bashar al Assad has yeah. used it at least at least once, but pr- almost definitely multiple times against the rebels in Syria in this current war that is probably still be going on when this podcast.
1: And maybe There's, by the time this podcast comes out, Gary Johnson will know about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> didn't they, I mean,
2: this might all be a, a myth, I don't know, but didn't they get rid of uh, fire bats after this one, too? The
0: guys with flamethrowers that, that was considered too cruel? No, oh, they used those in, nope, in World War II. They used those in World War II, yeah. There's the uh, guy, you know, uh, first scene of Saving Private yeah. Ryan. Oh, shoot guy him. totally, his he, he, tank gets shot and he like explodes, right?
1: And then the other guys, one guy shouting out, don't shoot him,
0: let him burn.
1: Like they're gonna shoot the guy, like he's on fire, oh, he's engulfed he's, like, in flames. Put him out, but he's the enemy, and yeah. like that's, you know, I Maybe think they
2: got rid of that eventually, though.
1: I, I don't know if they I ever did 100. Yeah. But I think that was one of those weapons, kind of like snipers in the 1800s, where they they hated those people so much because that's such a dick move. It's just yeah, like in the Civil American Civil War, the sniper was considered like, such a coward, the
2: sharpshooter,
1: because they could be hiding I mean, at that point, far away, four hundred yards away, and kill you. And I not one, one of the generals say, "Don't"? His like last words are like "They can't hit us from this distance." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the big ones. I don't remember which one it was, but I just know that as a thing from that. Yeah, and they really, really detested them. So I'm sure the flamethrower is a pretty fucking awful weapon. I'm sure, people were not just burn everyone in the trenches alive, if they haven't suffocated and covered their own lungs. But you have to get up damn close to use it, or maybe like within twenty or thirty feet. I don't know how effective they are. Yeah. but at that point, if you and get you shot are strapped to explodes, a bag of uh, fire. It's a pretty crazy weapon. I like, it's the sort of thing like if, if it had not been invented in real life and you saw it in a video game, you'd be like, that's a little far fetched. <laughs> Who would think of that? Oh, wait. Indeed. So they, both, they spend like, a lot of time like, looking for food, looking for gear, watching trying their not friends to die, die yeah. and watching slowly all the people he knows get killed. And then he gets yep. leave, right? Then the thing... He gets
2: two weeks of leave to go home and hang out with his ma. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, man, tell us all the cool stuff about the war. And he's like,
1: no, son. And nothing's happened to his town or village, wherever he lives. It's totally fine. But he's like, I shouldn't have come back here. This was a terrible yeah. idea.
0: He feels like, I want to say, disconnected from the civilians who live back in town. Not that he doesn't kind of appreciate them, and he is kind of glad to see his family and everything. But he feels apart. He feels like he, he doesn't really connect to them. He doesn't quite belong he's anymore.
2: participated in things that no one could rationally believe in.
0: Yeah. He, d- he does say, um, very near the beginning, you know, we were 20 years old, and we were old men. You know, we're no longer no longer kids. Twenty is fucking young, yeah, to be that jaded. Well, uh, I know that after uh, after Pearl Harbor, some of the guys after we're saying the exact same thing. You know, when they're like twenty years old too, nineteen. You like
1: watched a bunch of your friends get fucking killed in their sleep, or you know something, and you barely escape, and you'd probably be fucked up. And I think what he's demonstrating is PTSD. Yeah, they just didn't. I mean, they called it. I mean, the shell shock is invented for World War I, I think, right?
0: I think so. The term, yeah.
1: He can't settle back into living in his town, even for the two. He can't, like, turn off. Also, because he knows feels. he has to go back. That's true. He can't really get too comfortable, I guess. But he can't even enjoy it. And he just said I shouldn't have even come back. I should have just, like, just stayed there. That would have been fine, too.
2: His mom's all just like, hey, man, don't get killed. I was like, oh, well, thanks. I hadn't thought of that.
1: Oh, now I'll try, since you reminded me. And he has to go see the mother of the dead
2: guy. He's like, he died quick. He's like, he did not die quick. He withered and suffered horribly. <laughs> everything rotted off his body. So, yep, there was no pain. He was a hero.
1: I think that's the thing in war, like the glory part. You know, like the good death that you died.
0: You died a good. died a good death. Like that's I think people want to hear about. I think we should open the last beer. Two, two more. Two. We should open another beer and then talk about what is actually kind of the most dramatic scene in the whole.
1: So but I brought this other beverage. This is from McKellar, NYC. It's called Big Baron, which is uh, has red label art, because uh, the Red Baron was a World War I guy. Is that <laughs> the
2: one that Snoopy always fought? Uh, I, I don't know. If it when he was that... dogfighting, in think his it was imagination,
1: way. he was
0: always fighting the Red Baron.
1: I forget what his real name is, the Red, the red Baron guy, but he was a it,
0: fighter pilot. Baron Ace guy. Von Munchausen? It's not, not that's not, him, not his no. name. I was like, that's really coincidental. <laughs> it would be, yeah. Uh, but he... Baron Von Trapp.
1: He had a, it's a long, not, it's like one of those German names, you're like, I can't even try to say that one. It's 11,000 syllables. You know, they just chained together seven That's other names. not
0: Hindenburg. Um,
1: oh, it's a gas attack <laughs> Well, as Nate looks that up, this is an IPA, and they're clearly thinking about oil. Richthofen. Oh, okay. Manfred von Richthofen. Now, I don't
0: know how many, do like 100 kills or something like that? Died April 21st, 1918, so he didn't live through the war. A fighter pilot, Air Force. Hold on. Yeah, taken
2: down by like a British pilot and an American ground gunner or something. Like double teamed him, or the other way around.
1: They finally like got
2: him. Some shit like that.
1: Yeah, you got a bunch of confirmed kills. And this was back when they like, half the war. You still had to, like hold a rifle and fly the plane. Yeah. Eighty
0: uh, air combat victories. That's a lot. That's a lot. When For, you're you were essentially
2: a lawnmower with
0: wings. Yeah. <laughs> so bicycle. by part very beginning of the war. You'd fly the pl- one person would fly the plane, another person would just have a shot. When the person in the back seat would have a shotgun, and they would just take pot shots at the other plane. So that's how the first dogfights were held. But then they had machine gun front mounted machine guns by halfway through the war.
2: I always wonder how they never shot the propeller.
0: They had it timed right so that the bullets always went between the propeller blades. Is that it true? Was- it was timed. The timing belt went through the engine. Really? Through. Yep. That's fucking insane. Genius. Even in World War One they had that. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: So this is an IPA. It's like seven percent. 8%. Made in McKellar, NYC. We have been there before. We, I don't think we had this one there, but I there was something else with oil in the name when we were there. I just can't remember what it was right now. Yeah. What do you think of it? It's good. Yeah. It's on the sweet side. I like it. It is very sweet. Right? Not, not super hoppy.
0: No, not as sweet but, as that grapefruit wine. But, no. That's just juice. But that's, that is just juice. This is, That's just fake beer. This is delicious. It's a nice one. This is pretty goddamn good, yeah. So they were thinking of a different baron, but whatever. World War I stuff. So the kind of most dramatic scene in the in the in in the book is when Paul and his, you know, group get sent back to the front lines and then they go and fight a battle out in no man's land and they go but Paul gets I forget exactly how, but he gets stuck in a shell hole. Or more like no, he was. Yeah, he was they got the, separated, the and, and, he was and they're
2: they're looking for someone that got lost. Oh yes, that's and right. he has to go. He's like crawling around, and they start getting attacked. So he just hops into a hole. Uh, it sh- hops into a shell hole, which lots of people had to do. And so oh, he's like he literally. It already landed there. It's not going to land there
0: again. And, and I think his plan was to wait there until night. Anyway, he just he literally just has to wait there a long time, and then after he's already been there a couple of hours, and was it the French? Um, the French soldier, like a a soldier from the other side, basically jumps in the shell hole with him. And because he, For the course, same purpose. Yeah, for the same purpose, to hide, but he didn't know that there was, oh, there's this German dude in here hiding with me. And so they kind of like stare at each other for a second. Then they're like, oh, fuck. And then they literally have to fight it out hand to hand. And yeah. Paul That's ends up killing kill. him. Yeah. It's his first, it's not his first kill, but it's, the fr- it's his first kill that he has to do with his bare hands. Oh, right, right, where he right. literally has to knife the guy, like directly in, in really for what he describes it, it. really felt like murdering him. Um, That's an what he did. It, well, uh, the point is, uh, the point he's trying to make is when you're just firing a gun into a, you know, distant enemy, it doesn't feel or nearly as immediate. Launching a mortar. Yeah, launching a mortar. Never knowing where it like lands. 20 miles away. And when you're shooting and everyone else is shooting, you don't know where your bullet went. It feels impersonal. Whereas the having to literally kill this guy with your bare hands feels much more personal. And Paul was kind of traumatized by it. Know even though he's already been he's already been a soldier in the war for over a year or maybe more like two. Um, and this was still a major event. And then and, and then after he die after the French guy dies, he opens like, his code and he gets all his papers out and he sees he wants to like, know more about him wants to know more about him and he sees he finds out what his name is and that he's got like a note from his and he, he's his stuck wife. in the hole
2: for like two days a while yeah it's a while you're talking about like he's so fucking hungry he could die. And he was in there for a long time until someone finally, he heard his friends yelling. But it was just like, I want to write to this guy's family and like, <laughs> yeah, send them, I won't write to them maybe, maybe I'll just send them money afterwards
1: because
0: I feel real bad about killing him. And he also kind of, because he had time, he had time to sit there and contemplate.
1: The killing for him, I mean, do we know that he's killed, does he know that he's killed anyone prior? He, he just kind he of says assumes it, he says it's his have.
2: first uh, hand-to-hand thing and his friends have had to do it, but he's never had to do it before. Right. Like they stormed the trenches and beat people to death with their butts
1: of their guns, but he never did it.
0: Or the shovels.
2: Or oh, yeah. said so the shovel works better than a bayonet. Well, yeah. Nice.
1: So, I mean, could you imagine having to do something like that? That is No. I mean, I've yeah. never been in a uh, combat yeah. situation, so. Mm-hmm. You'd like to think, especially when you're younger and you're like, I'm tougher. He's like, I'll be macho and do that, but. Stab this guy in a death in a hole while bombs go off over you and you shit yourself. Uh, I don't know. But I guess if it's either you stab him to death or he stabs you to death,
2: yeah, you're going to do is,
1: something. That is the thought. It's, it's still crazy. Some sort of impulse, some, some sort of a, you know, survival, survival instinct yeah. is going to kick in mm-hmm. for most of us. If you make it that far in the war anyway, like he's been here a year, he, he's trying to survive. Yeah. So that definitely is the most, I do remember that in the book. Mm-hmm. I read it last year. I didn't reread it, so I don't remember everything very clearly.
0: Um, he, he says, you know, long after that, you know, he's talking about what life is going to be like when the war finally ends, and he's if he, he's talking about him and his generation. He says, "All we know in life is death." That's like that seems that's the only like thing they can that they really know anything about because like they, they this Paul he was going to college or something like that for at least a few months, but then stopped to go join the war, and now this is all he knows. It's like, what is his generation going to do?
1: Fortunately for him. For his generation,
0: most of them didn't actually survive the war, so yeah. they didn't have to worry about it. Neither does he. So <laughs> oh, spoiler, yep. So uh, he, the war goes on longer. He sees like all of his friends die,
1: um, but the one that bothers him is a um,
0: cat. The cat got was like, but the, the cook. No, that, no, but the, the guy, guy. The who could guy find who could all find all the goose stuff. S- he, his, he was cats.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's like isn't he died, and then that. that's like, oh man, now it's real. I feel like that was the guy that really bummed yeah, him no, out. I think <laughs> that was like his best friend.
2: I forget forget how he died, because they all die in such, you know, there's, like, a paragraph near the end where he just lists the way they die over the course of the next few months.
0: He gets injured, and then there's a really pretty long scene where he's on the, like, injured train. He's on, the the train for, that he's going to be, he's, like, being shipped back to the hospital, and then he's, like, back in the hospital, and that all, all of these injured soldiers are in this, like, one train car or in one room, and... They keep like bringing people out, and they totally get the sense that there's a, there's a, there's a separate room where they take people who are definitely going to die. It's like the nurse will come in and say, oh, we're just bringing him to the extra care room, and nobody ever returns from the extra care room. Um, and, so, uh, and, then there's, and so anyway, he gets sick, but he's, he's injured, but he's not definitely going to die. But is he going to lose he a gets, leg or something like that? Uh, he's trying to not lose yeah. a leg, trying to not have the leg be amputated. Does he get, does he get shot or something?
2: A, or, like, something gets cut. I forget what the fuck
0: happened. Yeah, but uh, anyway, he's injured, and, the, like, the, the sort of... The, the hospital is really, really sad. And at one point, one dude who's there, his wife comes to visit, and he literally hasn't seen his wife in two years, and they have an infant son that this guy has never even met before. Uh, and so all the guys, I sort of conspire to... Basically, leave the room for fifteen minutes so that he can fuck his wife.
2: I thought they don't leave the room; they just all turn away and they prevent the nurses from coming yeah. into the room. So they're
0: all still in there. They're all still in there. They like kind of like they. And this guy's injured too, so they, like they like prop him up on his side,
1: <laughs> just so we
0: can like here. You can this will work for you, right? You, you do all the work, honey. Yeah, that's how it goes down. Brotherhood. They're <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, can
1: we, can we go family style on your wife? It's not that close.
0: <laughs> it's not it. <laughs>
1: She's not a child. They're not in a sewer. And that it's episode
0: came out last week, so it was Just a trench. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's hot. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I've seen that And movie. then the Paul, the main character, he dies in October of 1918. So he makes it really a long way. But then he dies just a month before the war's over. Well, fucking people died th- that, th- that so day. Yeah. The
1: day of, and they, everyone <laughs> knew, at least everyone in power knew. The war was going to stop, at least the fighting, <laughs> at a
0: specific time, which was eleven eleven on uh, a Yep, it's
1: just that's Make when you wish. stop firing.
0: That's <laughs> when the ceasefire goes to effect. But they kept firing at each other until then. Right, they didn't have watches.
1: No, they had. They haven't. did. Yeah, it was very synchronized. Like there'd always be like one dick leader uh, with the stopwatch. I made that up at the uh, <laughs> at the trench blowing a whistle or something when it was time for people to run. Right, that's like a yep. scene mm-hmm. in lots of World War when II really movies really fucked up relay movies,
0: like Paths of Glory with uh, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas yeah.
1: We do have one more beer. I had something I wanted to say but I forgot. So maybe this beer will help me remember. Like it does help me remember everything else in my life. All right, so you brought this, Jimmy. Yes. This is Celebrator. Celebrator. By, um, By Einger Brewery.
2: Finest Bavarian double Bach. And it comes with a free plastic goat. <laughs> it does. Who it wants the goat? With the goat? I
1: actually have one You want to get the goat? Freezing. Um, <laughs> mm, Bach means goat in German. So it's a double block, it's a, but it's actually kind of light. I think it's only six point seven percent alcohol. I think it's, I think written on the bottle. That's kind of light for a double block. They're usually seven plus eight plus percent.
2: I don't like this. I like the goat toy,
1: but I don't like this. I have I have one upstairs. I saved. It. I put it on my uh, like my the shade. It looks the like thing it, to draw the shade. It looks like
2: a Christmas ornament of sorts. It comes with a string wrapped it does, around. Yeah.
1: It. Uh, I thought I think it's okay. It's very sweet, like all malt, no bitterness.
0: Yeah, it is, is fine. Very
1: malty. It's
0: it's fine. There's like I a
1: some flavor in there on the back end of it. That's interesting. Oh, I remember what I was gonna say. Oh. Thanks, beer. I knew it. To <laughs> say uh, another guy who died like three days before the war ended was Wilfred Owen, the, the poet, the World War One poet. I mean, There's a, quite a few poets from World War One and actually musicians too who composed pieces like in the trenches and wrote poems and shit. Wilfred Owen was a British guy. His famous poem is "Dulce et Decorum Est" about how shitty the war is, but "Dulce and Decorum" means like it is proper and sweet. To do, like, your duty. He died a week before the war ended. Like, they already knew that was going to end. Yeah. And they're like, well, let's go take Jerry from the rear. And then they just <laughs> did that. And they called, him, they called Germany Jerry for some reason throughout the whole war. Jerry's.
0: German. Well, Germans. the
1: British did. Jerry's. Is that what that comes from, really? It's really just the first syllable. <laughs> I have to
2: Germany
1: imagine. Germany Jerry's. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't like Jerry Seinfeld's. Yeah. They, that's why Seinfeld was not a hit in England. It's like, German Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> we know I mean, Germans aren't funny, and this guy also isn't, so we understand. That's why they gave zero dollars to Jerry's kids. <laughs> like, fuck them. We, they lost the war. <laughs> that,
0: was, that was Jerry, oh yeah. Jerry
1: Lewis. Yeah, so I think that's like the sort of punctuation mark on what makes World War I seem so wasteful, that they, the last week or so of the war, they kept fighting even though they knew it was over, and people had already acknowledged winning or losing, and people continued to die. Like, as his historians or whatever, looking back on this, you kind of like, man, that was fucking stupid. And of course, since we know that there was World War II, we know that whatever peace they achieved was not successful, it makes it even more awful. Though, so of course, it's not part of this book. But it's hard not to know that as you read it, or not to think of it at some points. Mm-hmm.
2: So was this dude French, or was he German? He was he, German. Oh, uh, I thought he was French.
1: He had a very French-sounding name. Remarque? Yeah. Henri he, Maria
2: Remarque. Was like, oh. He was... If he was German. I was, if was wondering from I
1: Alsace Lorraine or whatever that area is. That uh, a French spe- the could, could French, the
2: German-speaking people. Yeah, I, so I, I thought maybe he was, he was French, like well, right? But from German perspective, maybe it's like a we're all the same kind of thing. But if he was German, that's less interesting. No,
1: yeah, he was he was a German. He wrote some other stuff, but he's really only known for this one book. The one, he's a one-hit one wonder. <laughs> yeah, one-hit wonder. So yeah, then he dies, and all of his friends die. And all his Lord friends die, and then he dies. Oh, okay, he dies last. Right,
2: and then that's he's the dying. title of the book. They're like, he died. On a relatively calm day, and all the reports said all oh, quiet was your front. Even though this guy died, but who the fuck cares that this one guy died?
1: Pfft, the end. Well, when Germany lost, you know, two and a half million people or whatever it is they lost. The fake, the fake, Stalin quote: "Right, the death of one is a tragedy; the death of a million is a statistic." I thought that was Hasselhoff. Could be. The Germans definitely the would rather credit him. The other great
0: tyrant of our time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you
1: know, the, the one person in the in the scope of the whole war is insignificant.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess as well. So I guess The Death of One isn't even a tragedy. It's also a statistic. Who should read this
2: book? I think it's worth it for people to read it. I mean, there's no trench warfare anymore, but
0: it does... It's not... It's, it's still worth reading. It is short. Give that. that. Uh, I think it's worth at the time when, you know, the United States seems to go to war with somebody every 10 years or so. Every what decade. It's what we do. Uh, technically, we're still at war in Afghanistan. Technically, we're still at war in Korea. That's also true, yeah. <laughs> Technically, we're still at War Korea. That's a different story. Um, since war... it's Okay, th- another thing about the First World War was how pointless it, it was just to begin with. Not just pointless in how it ended. It was pointless even the way it began. True. And there was really no good reason for it. Did you guys ever see...
2: The, there's this YouTube series called The Great War. and uh, I've seen it, pieces of it, It yeah. came out before... It came out like, 2014. And the guy was going... One episode a week. No, this week, week by week, oh,
1: that's cool. for the yeah. whole
2: thing. So it's still going. It's a week by week. What happened in the war? That's really cool. I, you know, I read, I, watched the, I watched the first few, and I was like, this is too fucking complicated. Because it was like the causes leading up to the war, and it was like, yeah, I thought they had shot that guy with a horse, and then it was the war, and but no, it's like a thousand billion different things going wrong.
1: It is really complicated. It's like a big domino thing, though, essentially. And the mm-hmm. uh, the guy that you're talking about shooting, Douche, Franz Ferdinand, that Did was, they shoot him in the dark of the atene. Uh, is that a Franz Ferdinand Frans- song? Yes, it is. Nobody <laughs> knows any of their songs. Uh, you are the only one. They had that was the one song people knew. I'm not even sure if that was that. Was, well, that's not even the song I, I knew. One song. Uh, with maybe maybe, the, maybe it's the second was song. It Take me out. Was that there? Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, th- they took him out. <laughs> yeah. <there you> go.
1: <laughs> but uh, Gavrilo Princip shot him, and yeah. he was like 19 or something. Yeah. Shot Franz mm-hmm. Ferdinand, Frans- and even that action took like a crazy bunch of coincidences and strokes of luck to happen. Yeah. yeah.
0: They were uh, so. I'll tell the story. Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife were basically in they were of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria or uh, Austria-Hungary. Well they had a dual monarchy. His his was the Austrian half. His father was the current king. So he was next in line to be king. Um, and people actually liked him. He was kind of more of a liberalizing force as far as we know. But anyway, he and his wife were on vacation in Sarajevo, Serbia. Not vacation, it was like a state visit. But you know, it was June. It was nice, and there was there was a parade. And one of the members of the of the Serbian uh, conspiracy these the are the black hand. They called the Black Hand yeah these are Serbian military officers who just hated Austria. One of them threw a a bomb which is kind of like a grenade I guess you could say at the car in the parade and it he missed and the car takes a hard turn goes down a side street and like zips away to get away from the from the first assassination attempt and standing there on the corner is 19 year old Gavrilo Princip. He's buying a sandwich. Yeah. And he happens to be at the right place right when the car turns the corner. He goes, oh my God, this is my chance. Takes a gun out of his coat and shoots both of them. And showed I think, both, both, both him and his wife.
1: And outside of that sandwich shop, to some Serbians, he became a hero.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they all got into the club. <laughs> there was unrestricted submarine sandwich warfare. He got, he got both of them. He was on a roll. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. So- it was a real Ruben Goldberg machine of events. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, I can't think of any more sandwiches <laughs> right now. <laughs> how, do
0: you, how do you fit no this? He was no longer...
2: He really brought down all of the Hungary empire because he ate the whole sandwich.
0: <laughs> and the country of Turkey did get dragged in. Sure.
2: Well, you gotta throw that the tur- tur- gotta
1: throw turkey, turkey the in the
0: there. Yeah. Still trying to think of something for BLT. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> so anyway, that he's so a Serbian guy shot the you know, next heir to the next king of Austria. That's none of those ha- are Germany, England, France, or Russia. By the way, who did all of, all of the real fighting in the war? Yeah. So that's none of them. So anyway, Austria is really mad at Serbia. So because th- this is like, imagine. And I got this from uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast about the First World War. You should all go and do it. Anyway, this is like this is like we're sending the vice president out to visit a country and they kill him. We'd be pretty pissed at that. We would. Real dick move. Would you care if they shot the current vice president, Nate? I I wouldn't go to war over Mike Pence, (laughs) me personally. (laughs) I'd be impressed uh, they could
1: pull it off. Would you you have gone to war over Joe Biden, though?
0: I'd probably be more upset over Joe Biden. Now. I'd be more
1: surprised if they let Joe Biden out of the basement because he was like <laughs> locked up for eight years to so, stop saying dumb things. Kind of like Mike Pence. He's kind of been hiding a lot of it, too. He has,
0: yeah. But anyway... That's because he's a lot in rooms with women. Austria. <laughs> this is sort of like... You know, Four simple, are blocks. Oversimplifying a little bit. But Austria decides within a couple of wi- a couple of days or a couple of weeks to declare war on Serbia. Well, they make ten demands. Yeah. And they, I forget
1: what they all are, but Serbia's like, will do nine of them. And they're ridiculous. They're like, we want to examine, like, tell what you, you could, like, teach in your schools. Or, like, it's a g- extremely repressive shit. To, like, we want to make sure that this terrorism shit is rooted out. And they agreed to nine of these ten things. And then Austria's like, not good enough.
0: And, War. And Germany, and Germany had, the Germany chancellor, or whatever his name is, had, had sent, or Wilhelm, the, the Wilhelm or not, not, the, not the chancellor, but somebody had sent, uh, somebody in Germany had sent a telegram to Austria saying, the Kaiser? We, you have our support but what they thought they were saying was, "You don't need to go to war with them. Like you, you don't bother you them. You have our emotional like, support. They were like, s- like, trying to 'I'm there to for you, say, bro.'" Because <laughs> they had, because had a treaty with Austria, so they can't say, "No, you're on your own, dudes." But they kind of have to. But they can't come right out and say, "No, don't do it either." Yeah. Anyway, so Germany thought they were discouraging the war, but it turns out Austria read it the other way and said, "Aha, we're gonna start this war now." So anyway, Austria is fighting Serbia now. Serbia is tiny. They're, they had no hope of winning a war against Austria-Hungary, even though Austria-Hungary, they're kind of idiots. But anyway, Serbia calls on their good friend Russia because they're both, like, see as sort of this Slavic yeah, racial connection. Slavic kind of thing. Yeah. So Russia sees themselves as the protector of the Slavic people of Eastern Europe. So Russia decides to get in on the war against Austria. And then Austria is like, oh, fuck. Which was one of the Black Hand's goals was to
1: make a country for all the Slavs since there's a whole bunch of them that lived in Austria-Hungary and they wanted to create, you know, Slav land. Slavtopia. And so Austria's like, oh,
0: fuck. Because even though Russia, they're not as advanced, they're not like the top tier military a power. ton of them. They're huge. It's a huge, gigantic country. They're all
2: about the numbers. And they have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> throw everything at you. Oh, good. Less food for people to have. Go. <laughs> so then Austria <laughs> says, oh, well, now we're fucked. Now they're, now we really need to ask you, Germany, to help us out because this is really this is really going to be bad. And so Germany says, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> They actually weren't that excited about it. They they didn't they kind of didn't care that much, but they joined the war anyway. So now Russia now they're fighting Germany and Germany and Austria and Austria kind of doesn't count because they're dumb. But Germany they're frightening. You know they're not as big a you know big size country as uh, Russia, but they know what the fuck they're doing for sure. Right. So Russia is definitely uh, has reason to be worried at this point. So they call, so Russia calls on their calls upon their alliance with England and France. England and France say. Yep. Let's do this.
1: France also has beef with Germany from the franco prussian War, where they lost some yeah. land to Germany anyway, and they're like, angling Waiting for a way to, to, to get, get that
2: back. back. Mm-hmm. Where, where do the Ottomans come in on all this?
0: Oh, Germany. The sick man of Europe? Literally, Germany, kind of like the German ambassador to uh, you know, Austria, uh, no, well, the Ottomans pretty much trick them into signing an agreement. Those rascally Germans. But so in, like, literally the day before war was officially declared. And, uh, and Ottomans were like, wait, what? But they had signed the treaty, and so they were end up in the war anyway. Although there was some, like, pretty crazy fighting in the Middle East. The main like, part, of li- li- like, the really crazy part of the war was definitely on the uh, Western Front, which was the front p- between France and Germany. No, the, the, the fighting on the Eastern Front with Russia was also, like, incredibly brutal. But the, the difference is that the Ottomans, they didn't, have, they didn't know what they were doing, so... It was a very weird, strange kind of campaign. But this
2: ended up breaking up the Ottoman Empire, wasn't it? Because uh, they lost. The They're like, angry. It fuck did, yeah. you guys, you lose everything now.
0: And uh, a, lot of problems, a lot of the problems in the Middle East can be traced at least to a degree to the really... From the artificial borders we made after that? Yeah. The, the way the, the powers broke up. The this Middle East, is your country after now. The, after the well, variant.
1: didn't England essentially promise the Holy Land to two groups of people?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: God damn, at, right. at slightly different times, but like within a few years of each Actually, other.
0: Actually, the two the two people who made the two agreements didn't know about them oh, because mm-hmm. the, one of them was one of them was secret, and because nothing was online back then, like literally <laughs> was just it was one was called the Sykes-Picot Agreement, and the other one is called the Balfour Declaration, uh, and the uh, pretty much the two sides making the agreements didn't know about the other one, so they kind of at the end of the war realized they had promised it to two different people
1: no backseas, my friend. <laughs> and they're
0: like, oh, shit. That's
1: not going to be a problem. Yep. This won't come back to haunt us for the rest of time. And then Italy jumps in there, too. But I think... Well, but once again, of, no one they cares. They joined
0: on one side. <laughs> and they swapped. And they switched sides, but they switched to the losing side. They ended the war on the... There you Italy. They got it right the second side. time
2: when they started off on the losing side and ended up switching to the winning side.
1: Uh, in the last minute and a half when they're like, yeah. we killed our own guy. He's dead now. Please don't hurt we're us. We're on the we good guys team now. gas station. Yeah. Please don't hurt and us. And his whore. Yeah, and her too. Let's just Let's forget, forget about everything we did. <laughs> forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> there go. So there, but the, the, there were a lot of other agreements between countries. Like if you were attacked by Russia, we will back you up sort of things. Or if you're attacked by Germany, yep. going back some of them to like the 1880s, like some of these were really old documents that were of course secret So nobody knew about them to say, hey, don't declare war on them because then that happens. So it's like invisible dominoes. The
0: other, I mean, another problem is that once war is declared, all these countries had no choice but to immediately put their plans for full deployment into effect. Like they had very detailed plans of how to call up as many troops as possible, get them them to the front and start fighting as soon as possible, Germany especially. And Germany even... Almost won the entire thing in the first couple of weeks. They just couldn't quite pull it off, though. They almost took Paris, like they did in the Franco-Prussian War. It was but those they just couldn't quite pull it off. The slowed the, them down. The, the pickle the pickle halberd is yeah. what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> it's the spike. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, okay, so here you've got this whole war that involves seventy million people, and like ten million people died. And what was the cause of the war? One Serbian dude shooting one Austrian dude. And then a bunch of secret deals no one knew about. Yeah. Well, I think
1: if you're going to get into like the what if that didn't happen game. Something probably still they, would like have... All of the other traps were laid already. You just needed the one spark to set everything off.
2: One country had to piss off one other country and every other country would get involved no matter what.
0: So it could have. Been, so you're saying the war was kind of inevitable. It well, could have been just as pointless. Oh, in, it still would have been, in, been pointless, in sure. Another, in any other scenario, but.
1: Yeah, it would start over something pointless, but. It just I feel like they had all this tension, like it's like with this loaded trap, and then you just need someone to set it off, and then all the other pieces fall into
0: motion. Uh, so let's jump to the end of the war where you know there's an armistice in there's a ceasefire basically in November of nineteen eighteen, and then everybody goes to meet at Versailles or like the major powers go to sign the most important agreement at Versailles. Some get sent to the kids table like Japan. Uh, yeah. You don't you don't have to
1: worry about this, Japan. Just go sit over there.
0: Yep, and then they signed the, the, the treaty, the Versailles Treaty, which punishes Germany. Like yep. For one thing, in, in multi, many different ways, one of which uh, the England and France demand reparations. They demand a repayment of all the money that they had spent on the war. Like They literally kept all the receipts. <laughs> and, it turned, and it was $55 billion in 1919 dollars. That's, which is... $11,000 million trillion. It's, it's about $750 billion in today's in today's dollars. That's a lot. Which is a lot. <laughs> they made their final reparations payment in 2010.
2: They're still making them. But they actually they, they finally finished for a very long time. Yeah, they, they took a Hitler long break stopped in the middle
1: paying. Oh, well, yeah. And then after pay. the war, they didn't pay for quite a while.
2: I can't believe they paid back
1: all of it anyway. But originally, Germany was like, oof, just uh, tell England we don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: do something to distract them.
1: We don't have that money. (laughs) But that was it. They also Germany had to acknowledge that they caused the war. Germany couldn't have a military, and the French because they they lost their
0: colonies. They were
1: already pissed off at Germany, and now they lost you know how many millions of people and billions of dollars in damage. They wanted to turn Germany into like a farmland country, and take away the the, the, the the Saar or whatever the uh, industrial land the
0: Saar Valley and the Ruhr Valley yeah they wanted to
1: take they took like that was taken away from Germany they lost mm-hmm. actual territory said fuck you Germany you can't be an industrial power anymore so you can't be a threat to anybody sort of being the thinking I believe but they really tried to like grind Germany Germany's face into like you have been very very bad Germany <laughs> and this uh, won't come back to haunt us yeah they, like, they, well they kind of were thinking like they'll never get to do that again that'll teach them it'll take them at least Fifteen years to get all uppity again. And, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a long time. much. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, because then Germany tries to pay the reparations, but there's also, after all wars, there tends to be some sort of recession or depression even. There's a world depression.
0: A bad uh, one. Funny, of, funny fact- thing, what was happening was that Germany, or the, now the Weimar Republic, in order to pay the reparations payments, they were borrowing the money, and they were borrowing it from New York banks so new york banks were paying them, were lending the money to germany which was then paying it to england anyway 1929 stock market crashes and the banks in new york no longer have any money at all they stop they can't loan any more money to germany to the weimar republic and the weimar republic has to default on their on their but on they had
1: also experienced hyperinflation in the early 20s it, in the weimar germany where you know like a, got a loaf w- of bread was 8 trillion marks or so whatever. it
0: it got way worse after 1929 because then the government was just like, we can't borrow the money anymore because that would be the physically responsible thing to do. So we'll just print Deutschmarks. We'll just print them, you know, buy the sheet load Deutsch bags. And so literally they were, you know, it would take a wheelbarrow wheelbarrow full of Deutschmarks to buy like a loaf of bread.
1: I uh, took a class on modern German history in college in my graduate school. And it was like just a real, real pleasant class. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, the professor said that German workers, like, would their one of their demands was to be paid three times a day. So they'd get paid in the morning, take that money, and then just try to buy anything they could with it whenever they got a chance in the morning. Then get paid again at lunch to do it again because things would be more expensive, a lot more expensive by the yeah. afternoon than in the morning. And then by the evening, you get, on, get the rest of your pay at the end of the day. You want to rush out and spend that on whatever you could find that would be useful for you because it would be even more money tomorrow.
0: It's I mean, what, not a great your, system. Hyperinflation at that time, and then you get uh, characters like Adolf Hitler, who was a what was a corporal in the First World War. I mean, he was a, he was he was decorated with something. He was right decorated. He like survived the most like crazy stuff. He was a messenger, so his job was to run between trenches to carry messages, which was incredibly <laughs> dangerous. And like all the other messengers are like being killed all the time, and he nope not a scratch. Do you Although, know, sorry, uh. And he actually he, he was injured uh, injured a little bit right at the end of the war, and uh, he said in in his book there, I won't even say its name, but you know he I've only cried two times in my life, once when my mother died, and once when I found out we surrendered, and he was so angry, and everyone was so angry, and you know what after millions and millions of people die, and this terrible thing goes on for years, and then you lose well, you yeah, know, that's going to make people mad, yeah.
1: I going to say, do you know Hitler's iconic mustache is only because of World War One? Like the style, oh it's like yeah, big, yeah, bushy. You know, Wilfred Brimley mustache he had in World War One pictures of him, but he couldn't wear that gas mask over that. See, so yeah, that's why he has that clipped little toothbrush mustache. And it just became so cute; they kept it. <laughs> well, that's our. We'll, we'll save the World War Two story for a World War Two book, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you can see World War One is really pointless, except in the longer term of setting up World War Two. So, nice job. It's like a prequel. It is. Well, I mean, World War II, you know, they always go bigger for the sequel. More deaths, more, more destruction, more genocide. It's really
0: really up the stakes 100 billion percent. Anyway, as I think I was saying kind of before, I think this book is worth reading uh, because it is easy for countries to rush off to war. It is really easy when your one country gets into a thing with another country and you get all this, like, nationalism going on. And people are like, that country sucks. We should go fight a war with them because we'll definitely win. If people were a little bit more familiar with stories like this, they would be a, not as quick to rush into things like that.
1: Well, unfortunately, I think the average person doesn't make the decision of if we go into war or not.
0: No, but you could say that people in general, maybe, if they're more familiar, if everybody was more familiar with this kind of idea, that war is really so fucking terrible, there would be less... Because just popular opinion would be less against I, the th- war. I think a lot of it is that be pe- less
2: the people who are really into it have never been and will never go and they don't hear horrible things Or about
1: they're, it. like, officers who, you know, yeah. didn't experience the same thing. But we went through World War II in this country and had 440,000 Americans die in World War II and Pearl Harbor, and yet we went off to war in Korea six years later. A couple years later, and then, and then, stop then, then Vietnam. Vietnam. Stop the commies. A couple years after that. Yeah, but still, like, the idea that war is a solution to things is not affected even with firsthand knowledge of what the war was like.
2: It's true. That's because the other countries have read this book either.
1: And I think it's interesting just because World War One gets forgotten because World War II is so much
0: more dramatic in many ways.
1: You know, between
0: and was so it was a much bigger American experience.
1: Yeah, we were in it from. It was also a lot easier to understand. Is it World
0: War Two is pretty complicated. I mean, like the the overall everyone
2: has the gist of it. People like World War One is like I don't know Germany was a dick. That basically all. Comes well, down part to.
1: of it is that World War II has a much more colorful cast of characters. It does, yes. <laughs> so you could you could picture there's you know, there's, the there's, bad a, there's guys a more clear a
2: a clear delineation between like the bad guys and the good guys because one side is seems to be clearly evil.
1: At least this one is just like I don't know. That one's really bad. They just kind of fucked up. Most well, just everybody's an idiot. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it is World War One is more complex than that, and. Uh, also, like, the whole map of the world was different then, so the, what we think of as the countries themselves were different, right? Yeah. So it just makes it difficult. It changed to the picture. course of the entire history of the Earth. Shit. Thanks, Princip, who died, uh, who could not be executed under Austrian law because he was under age. I think he'd be 20 to be executed. So he went to prison and died before the war even ended of, like, typhus or something. Typhoid. But before, well, right. like, he like, had to amputate his arm or something in jail. His hand was turning black? Yeah. It was, well, first it was turning Japanese, then it was turning black. <laughs> And he was like 80 pounds when he died. He he did not... That was a really heavy arm. (laughs) (laughs) He had a pretty miserable rest of his life. So people should read it to know about the war, maybe so they don't think war is cool. But if you think war is cool, you're probably kind of a dick and you'll take the wrong message from this book. It
2: also helps to read just because people don't know jack shit about World War I. Yeah, but this book doesn't really explain any of this stuff. If you said trench warfare to people,
1: they'd be like, I don't know what that is. I guess. Because it that's really
2: like, only, existed, it only existed in World War I
1: to any great extent. Sure. That's the one thing that you learn in school. Like it, that's what I remember from high school. was like, World school War I, trench
2: warfare, next, the repression.
1: Maine <laughs> and trench warfare, Zimmerman Telegram, Lusitania. Those are all the stupid things you remember. Mostly you learn in school like why the United States ever got involved, which is a whole other thing. They were before.
2: having a tizzy over in Europe, and we ignored it. Well, and then was, America uh, happened.
1: Wilson ran for a second campaign on the like, slogan. The like, war, yeah. uh, he kept us out of the war, and he got reelected on that shit. But he kept us out, got re-elected, and then got us in.
2: It happens. Well, that's another story.
1: That's what you learn about in school. So I understand what you're saying. Like, it is not a well-understood thing where World War II is much easier to just kind of picture it because it's, oh, Hitler, bad, killing the Jews and stuff. Japan, bombing us. They're bad guys. We fought them, and then we won because America. Mur. Yeah, America, World War I is more complicated. I'll agree. I will concede on that. So uh, that's us what you thought?
0: Send us an email to Drunk Eyes Book Club at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Drunk BC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club.
1: And if you've listened this long, please leave us a review on whatever service you're using. Uh, just we ask you to round it up to five stars to make it easier for our calculations. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.